This is Father Reed Hensling at All Saints Episcopal Church, and we are presenting to you the Word of God. The 13th Sunday after Pentecost. The 13th Sunday after Pentecost. And remember, we are reading from the Book of Common Prayer, the Daily Lectionary. The Daily Lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer. And it's divided into two years, year A and year B, or year one and year two. I think that's more appropriate because in the Sunday lectionary, it's year A, B, and C. So let's use year one, year two. And we look to be reading the readings that are posted for those years at the appropriate time. And it begins always on Sunday and ends on Saturday. So we have a new Sunday every Sunday. Now we are in the second half of the church calendar year. The first half is from Advent to Pentecost Sunday, and the second half is from Pentecost to uh, after Pentecost. So everything after the Pentecost Sunday is the first Sunday after Pentecost, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, and we are on the 13th. The last one is called the last Sunday after Pentecost, and that's usually at the end of November or the beginning of December. Now, this particular week, we've got three scriptures that we're looking at, three uh, books of the Bible. We have been looking at all of these three in the last several weeks, so you should be familiar with them. But if you're joining us for the first time, we are in Job, a wonderful book in the Old Testament, a wisdom book, an unusual book, a very uh, extraordinary book, actually. The book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, which is the story of the apostles, particularly Paul and Peter and John uh, and James, but mostly Paul and some Peter uh, from the day of Pentecost, um, which happened after Jesus' ascension uh, till the end of Acts, which is Acts 28, and Paul is in prison. The gospel reading for this week is from John, the gospel of John. We've been in John for several weeks now. We'll be looking at chapters 8 and 9 and the first part of 10. In Job, we'll be looking at chapters 11 through 22, but not all of them, so there's picking and choosing. And then in the book of Acts, we're looking at 11, 12, and 13. So, you hopefully will have an opportunity to read these on a um, daily basis. Take a few minutes each day to read them. And hopefully you're learning something about each of the books of the Bible uh, that we go through. Right now, again, we're in Job, Acts, and John. Let's look at Job. So we begin in the 11th chapter on Sunday. And what's happening is that Job has undergone some serious infliction from Satan whom God gave permission to inflict or afflict, inflict with lots of uh, uh, problems, and he's now afflicted. And Satan's uh, questioning of God is that he, Job, would deny the Lord if afflicted with great calamity. And he's got three friends, Job has three friends that are responding to him. Okay, and those three people are Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz, Eliphaz, 
say El- I want to say Eliphaz, but Eliphaz, okay? These are friends of his, and they are commenting to him and telling him um, different things about the way they feel about this situation. And Job is responding. So in the 11th chapter, for example, we have Zophar's response. And then in the 12th chapter, we have Job's response. So Zophar, for example, in 11.7 says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? All right. He says in verse 11, surely he recognizes, he, God, recognizes deceitful men, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? Okay? Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you, do you know what God is doing? You can't possibly know, Job, how great he is, how he knows what's going on, how he's aware of what. And then Paul, and then Job responds. Okay? Job responds in chapter 12. And then he responds in chapter 13. He responds to this individual's. He says in 13.3, I speak, I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Okay? I'm not happy with what's going on. I, I don't know why this is going on. I don't know why God's afflicting me. I wonder what is going on. But then he says in 15, this is a pretty famous verse, Chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I am going to trust the Lord no matter what. You may be in a situation today where things are not going well for you and that you and I need to trust the Lord when there is a time where things are not going as well as they should or they can go well. And we need to trust the Lord. We need to put our hope in him, even though things are going on around us that don't make any sense. He says, how many wrongs, verse 23, and sins have I committed? Show me the offense in my sin. So he's really wanting to take God on. He's really wanting to say to God, why are you doing this to me? What is going on here? Why is this happening to me? And he continues in verse chapter 14, Verse 5, man's days are determined. You have decreed the numbers of his months. You've set limits he cannot uh, uh, exceed. Verse 10, man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last, is no more. So he has this very, if you pardon the expression, existential conversation where he's thinking about his own mortality. Then he's thinking about who he is in relationship to God. And it's a fascinating poem, uh, poetry, and uh, and. A real reflection upon who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Why is suffering happening to me? God, how does this, how do you find yourself? What is our relationship to God in the midst of our suffering? Eliphaz uh, speaks in chapter 15, and Job responds in chapter 16 and 17. He says in chapter 16, verse 4, I could also speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. So he's, he's getting up this desire to take God on. Why are you doing this to me? All was well with me, he says in verse 12 of chapter 16. But he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. Without pity, he pierces my kidneys. He spills my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. So he's talking very candidly, very honestly about his relationship with God. And he's wondering why God is acting the way he is. And he's not in any way backing down 
to these indictments against the Lord. We go to chapter 19 on Friday, and he talks about, again, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Though I call for help, in verse 7, there is no justice. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Why are things going bad for me? But then he'll say in chapter 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I will see God. In the end, he's going to protect me. He's going to save me. I'm going to trust in him. I'm not going to abandon him. I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't like it, and I'm upset about it. But I trust the Lord somehow, some way in these calamities. And finally, on Saturday, we have Job 22. He responds to Zophar in 21. Zophar speaks in 20, and then Eliphaz, Eliphaz speaks in chapter 22. Can a man be a benefit to God? Verse 2, can a wise man benefit him? What pleasure would he give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? Is not your wickedness great, verse 5, and your sin endless? So these three men are responding to what they feel are injustices that Job is sharing against God. And so they're defending the Lord. And so that's their point of view there. Acts chapter 11. Let's go and look at the second book, the book of Acts. Chapter 11. Now remember, Paul has been saved by the Lord on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 10, we have Cornelius, who's a godly Gentile, and this amazing vision that Peter has. And then Peter meets Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them falls upon these Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, he talks about the church in Antioch. He talks about persecution. He talks about what God was doing during that time. So we have this interplay between the actions of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the Holy Spirit, how people's lives were changed throughout the book of Acts, how God was working among them and how the gospel was going forth and how people were being changed as the gospel was going forth, including, including the disciples. We go to chapter 12, and it's quite an extraordinary chapter. Chapter 12 on Tuesday and Wednesday, we have James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword in chapter 12, verse 2. And then... When he saw that this pleased the Jews, verse 3, he proceeded to seize Peter. So Peter's in prison, and the church was praying. And I'm convinced that Peter would have died if he'd have lived through the night and appeared the next day. But there was a miraculous deliverance of Peter in chapter 12. And he goes to the house, and it is amazing what happens in terms of his deliverance. What that tells me is that God is ultimately in charge. Sometimes terrible things happen, like in chapter 12, verse 2, where James dies by the sword, and that's all that's said. But then Peter is miraculously delivered and set free. So the Lord is in charge. What's our responsibility? To listen to the Lord, to fear the Lord, to love the Lord, to worship the Lord, to put the Lord first even though the conditions and the circumstances might be not me the most positive for you. Continue to trust the Lord. In chapter 13, we have 
where the disciples are sent off. So Barnabas and Saul are sent off. Verse 3, after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They go to Cyprus. They go to Pisidian Antioch. And what you have now is the beginning, beginning in 13, with these wonderful travels of Paul and his sharing of the gospel message, his encountering of different problems and different groups of people and different needs and different situations and different conflicts and different things that are going down that are not positive for him and quite a few things that are going well. And then there's this wonderful uh, exposition of truth that we find in Acts that Luke records. Remember, Luke is the writer, the Gentile writer, the doctor, Luke, whose gospel we celebrate and love. And so we have this wonderful um, example of action, the gospel in action, real people doing real ministry under extraordinarily difficult situations. And so we find these words in chapter 13, 1 through 12 on Thursday, and on Friday, chapter 13, 13 to 25. And on Saturday, we go 13, 26 to 43. And so it is this wonderful uh, series of scriptures about the journey of Paul and uh, Saul, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas, and others that are with him. Now, you may want to use your... uh, geography in the back of your map, in the back of your Bible. And you'll use this, these maps to show you where all these places are. I remember when I studied Judges and taught Judges, uh, studied Acts and taught um, Acts at All Saints, I often referred to a very good map to show me where we are in the text. Enjoy that reading. It's a wonderful combination of theology, of geography, of sociology when you're looking at different cultures and groups of people and how God's spirit is working. In John, we have, um, we have John 8, as I said earlier, John 9, and the beginning of John 10. Let's look at John chapter 8. Again, we have long expositions here. Uh, we have this uh, conversation where Jesus talks to people And he talks to the Pharisees. And unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in his conversations with the Pharisees, we learn a lot about Jesus. We learn a lot about theology. We learn a lot about what he believes because he shares that with us. So John has this marvelous way of sharing with us what the truth of the gospel is through the interaction between Jesus and other people. So if you start out... In chapter 8, we're going to start on Monday in verse 21. You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. So that's a very, very strong theological statement. What does it mean? Well, what's always important when you're doing Bible study and Bible learning is you always want to know what the context of the Scripture is and then have the Holy Spirit speak to you from that context. He continues on in this uh, conversation with the Jews. He says in verse 31, 
If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Then he talked about the children of the devil in verses 42 to 47. He who belongs to God, hears what God says, verse 47. So again, in this conversation between the Jews and Jesus, we have, they're at odds with one another. We have a situation where they do not agree. Jesus is presenting the truth to them. They are not hearing the truth. They are not believing the truth. Now their ears are hearing it because they're responding to it, but they're not happy with it. They do not believe in faith. And so the importance of belief in faith is very, very crucial. He says in verse 51, I tell you the truth, if a man keeps my word, this is Jesus talking, he will never see death. He will never see death. Then he says, astoundingly, in verse 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So Jesus' message is quite profound, and it's quite amazing. But if you're not ready to hear it, it can be a great affront to you. And the Pharisees were not willing to hear what he had to say. In chapter 9, we have this extraordinary text about the man born blind, a very, very famous chapter about the man born blind. Jesus heals a man born blind. But again, the Pharisees do not receive it. They investigate the healing. They cannot believe that anybody can do that because it's impossible. There's even the man's parents are brought in. And at the end of the chapter, Jesus confronts the man and offers him an opportunity to believe in him, which he, the man takes. It's a beautiful scripture about physical blindness and healing, about spiritual blindness, about being lost, as I said a few minutes ago, hearing Jesus, but really not understanding at all what he says. And then in chapter 10, at the first half of chapter 10, 1 through 18, which is on Saturday of this week, he talks about being the shepherd. Now, you've heard about the good shepherd. You've heard about the shepherd. Uh, and there's a very famous section of the, about the shepherd taking care of the sheep in Ezekiel 34 and, of course, in the great 23rd Psalm. The thief, verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus says in 10:11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays it down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. Okay? And so you have this great pastoral picture of Jesus taking care of his sheep. Are you one of his sheep? Do you trust in him? Do you love him? Is he your shepherd? If he's your shepherd, that means you follow him. Wherever he goes, you go. You don't go a different way. You don't go off by yourself. You don't go away from the flock. You stay with the flock. You stay with the shepherd. You are following the shepherd. Lord God, bless your people who follow the shepherd. Bless each one of us as we open up the scriptures this week to hear what they have to say to us from Job and Acts and John. Thank you for these beautiful, powerful words. Sometimes the words are challenging. May the Holy Spirit come with us, come upon us, come beside us, and hear our voices, hear our cries, hear our needs, and bless us as we seek to study the scriptures and know them better. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Have a great week of reading and understanding and applying the scriptures. I'll see you again next week. God bless you.